Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and chavruta, Yerdena Azband. Our daf of the day, Tzadi Hey, 95. Now, today's daf addresses one of the biggest puzzlements, I think, many people find with Hilchot Shabbat when it comes to just living it. Namely, specifically, when you discover that braiding hair, which I guess is braiding anything, but it is most commonly discovered with regard to braiding hair, and particularly, let's say, braiding girls' hair. I know this, I discovered it when I was a girl, that braiding hair on Shabbat is prohibited. And the question is, but why? And you think the answer is going to be because of some kind of tying or some kind of weaving, right? Because we know that those are on the list of malachot. And the answer is, no, it's mishum bone. It comes, it is derived from the Malacha of Bona of building, and everybody says, what? And here we have exactly this source. So I'm going to read this inside, and we're going to try to unpack it and hopefully come to some sense of just exactly why it is the braiding hair is considered Bona building. Okay, now this is this is in the list of the several different um, practices that we said already from the Mishnah yesterday are um, Durabanan practices, right, or they're considered Shvut, Right, which is not an av and maybe not a tolada, but another category of prohibition on Shabbat. Certainly, you're not obligated to bring a korban. Okay, so we have here kochelet. This is the blue eyeshadow. Mishum tzuvat that you're dyeing your skin. Right, godelet upokeset mishum bona. Somebody who braids and or applies blush. Right, and this comes back to the question of your Dana, what you said yesterday that this is about. Um, you know, is it about teasing out the hair, some kind of combing, or is it blush, which, again, raises this question further. What does this mean, Mishum Bona? If it's both, if it's two different hair activities, that kind of makes more sense. And the Gemara asked this question that everybody who's ever encountered this, you know, principle of braiding hair being Mishum Bona asks, Is this the way of building? What are you talking about? And the Gemara answers, in yes, yes, Kedarish Rabbi Shimon ben Manasya, because there's a drusha from Rabbi Shimon ben Manasya, who we will encounter at other times as well. Vayiven Hashem Elokim et Hatzela, that Hashem God. This is a verse from Breshit Perikbet. Meaning, this is a creation story that God built, and this is about Adam that God um, about Chavad that He's God created, but he, but the term is built the woman from the rib, and the rib there is selah, that's the word, the rib of man, right, of Adam, melamed she'kil'ah ha'kadosh baruchu l'chava, so it teaches that God fundamentally braided chava, v'hivia etzel adam, and brought her to man, adam, she'kein be and similarly, we have just from the vocabulary in the islands of the sea, they called braiding building. So, so here we have the connection seems to be linguistic, first of all, uh, perhaps functional, but it's not exactly the act of braiding as much as the vocabulary here that makes reference to braiding in conjunction with building. So once you put the two terms together, then we can say, well, somebody out there thinks that this act of breeding, of, of you know, winding the hair together, the, the, the strands of hair together, it fundamentally is building something. 
I just want to continue with the command here. Tani Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar Amer Godelik Kochel to Posek Pokeset Latzma Ptura. In terms of Psak Halacha, Rabbi Shimon ben Elazar says that anybody who is braiding or putting on the blue eyeshadow, or again either applying blush or rouge, or in fact perhaps teasing out the hair with combs, Latzma, somebody who does it for self Ptura is exempt from any kind of korban. But if you do it for somebody else, then you might be, ob- then you would be, the Gemara says you would be obligated in a korban. And there's another statement that says that he, Rabbi Shimon Azar himself, would say that a woman may not apply rouge, blush to her face on Shabbat because she is dying, meaning um, coloring, not dying. D-Y-E-I-N-G. Um, and, <laughs> and here we end up, right, so that, that whole line of thinking, the idea that applying some kind of, certainly some kind of cream, right, that has a blue for eyeshadow or rouge, the kind of, the, the, listen, the, all kinds of cosmetics have changed over time, right? So the idea of powders is a completely different thing than something that's, you know, more grease-based, right? And the oil-based things that you like, you smear on yourself. Well, yeah, that kind of is like dying, right? It's not lasting, but maybe it's lasting enough. So that's a whole different discussion. Um, but, but again, I just wanted to make to to emphasize this point that, like it or not, the connection between braiding and building is in fact an original source. Here it is, and the connection goes back towards you know towards a, it's got a proof text from the Chumash from the Torah which is a little bit figurative, but the language is there. The term for braid is used in conjunction, in con- conjunction with the term for building. And I, so I don't know who these island people are that they also call braiding building, but the idea is that this, as far removed from you know hairdressing as building seems to be, in this particular case, the connection is, is there and it... Um, and so it comes down to us today. And and so we don't braid our hair. I mean, you know, it's considered still aswara on Shabbat to braid your hair. Um, when I was about 11, my aunt used to braid her hair on Friday, you know, before Shabbat, and it, and leave it loose, meaning no tie. And then yeah, maybe it came out in our sleep or maybe it didn't. And it was an interesting approach. I'm not sure how, you know, if it's uh, 100%. But the idea was that, you know, again, you it was not done on Shabbat. It was done before Shabbat. So any braids you see on Shabbat amongst people who are keeping halacha, they have done, they have made those braids before Shabbat. Yeah, I, you know, I would just say one thing about this Gemara. It's interesting to see with other examples that are given, we don't usually try to find a pasuk to prove why it's a sore, what the connection is. And so I just wonder if here was sort of, again, one of these examples where, there was a tradition, a Masoer that was passed. It's what the halacha is, but like they also understood there was something a little not intuitive about this, you know, like you couldn't directly make the link. So therefore- Well, I love this line. Is this the way of building? Like, are you- Right, like Like they know it, right? So like they needed to like hook it onto a pasuk in a way that we don't say in other ways because they understand there's something different about this than many of the other malachot and toladot that are mentioned. Right. So this isn't a particularly long dap. I just wanted to mention, I think, you know, those who've been learning with us for a while, you know, like, know that I always tend to like some of those little human nuggets 
that are nestled into some of these stories. Um, and I think there's two here that are on the staff that I just want to sort of mention. So one is the story of Rav Nachman Bar Guria Ikalela Naharda. So Rav Nachman Bar Guria visits Naharda. Um, and remember, that's one of the major yeshivot that's in Babel. Baumine, they asked him, So they're going to go through a series of activities and they want to know what's the, like, they're basically saying it's a tolada, it's a derivative malacha. What's the lamitet? What's the main, you know, category that it falls under? Right? So he says milking, it's because of milking. <laughs> right? When you strain coagulated milk, what are you chayev from? It's just from chayev. Somebody who makes cheese, why are you liable? No, it's just from making cheese, right? In other words, he just basically said, yeah, it's just us, sir, because like, you just don't do those things. So the students of Naharja say to him, right? Your teacher is a reed cutter in a swamp, right? Which basically means that it's it's not, this isn't a nice thing, right? Like how could you actually sort of like cut reeds uh, within a swamp, I guess is what it's trying to say. I didn't totally get what it is, but the point is basically saying, you don't know how to explain this bright song at all that we read. And that obviously you didn't learn this well from your teacher. So what does he do? So then he goes to the baby midrash and he's like, okay, maybe I'll get somebody to explain this price to me. So they said to him, right? Milking is because of the of extracting. Okay. Which is, first of all, sorry, it's interesting. It's actually a tolada of dash of threshing. Um, so it's interesting that it uses the tolada there. Um, then it says because of borer, right? Which we've talked about separating or selecting, I guess is the better way to explain it. And that making cheese is because of building, right? Because you push, you press the curds into a block. Um, so that's why it would be, you're taking, you're joining things together. So that's the same thing with the braid. It's like you're joining the hair together to make it into one thing. So that's why it'd be considered building. So I just love this story because it's like, First of all, we see many of these stories where it's like there's a visitor to a bait me drash. And often, you know, they say it's sort of like they're like, okay, you're visiting. Tell us some Torah from a different bait me drash or from a different area that maybe we didn't know. And then it's like he sort of teaches them something or they ask. The audience is like not impressed. This wasn't good Torah, you know. And then what do we see this, you know, him do is he goes around to try to see if he could get a better answer. And then they share the answer. So I just thought, I don't know, I just liked that whole flow of this particular story. Do you, anything to add to that, Anne, before I go on to the next one? No, I just, I also like it. Meaning I, I like that we see the interaction among, like, between them, among them, you know. Yeah, there's... it's like so human. It's just, you know, it's, it's, it's you know, um, yeah, I just, I really, really liked it, you know. Oh, and uh... I'll just add a lot of people, I think a lot of people think that, you know, why would making cheese be bona? And I think you've explained the rationale there very beautifully, meaning it, the concept of bona, of building, does not necessarily mean construction of a, of a building, right? Even though it's called building. And I think that that's something that's important to note about a lot of the malachot and their toladot and their shut, that some of the, like, when we get conceptual about things and we're talking about, like, well, what is your outstanding activity that you're doing, you know, underlying everything? So if we're going to say you you combine things, you put things together 
you know, you smush them together if it's cheese, right? Like, okay, but so you're kind of doing that also when you're building an actual structure. So, I, I, you know, the that that phenomenon of extrapolating principles, I think, is essential to the learning of Hilkot Shabbat. Yeah. So, okay. And then the last story is um, this Rabat Tosefa. So one explanation I heard, like, who's Rabat Tosefa? Like, we've never seen that before. Um, like, what is that name exactly that we see here? So some people actually amend it to just Rabbah. But I read in a few places that this actually, it's not our regular Rabbah. It was a person who was expert in the Tosefta. So the storyteller is Rabbah Tosefa, Ashokhei Rabina to Karmisave Mahalva. Uh, Mehalva. So this Rabbi Tosefa was visiting Ravina on a Shabbat where he was very uncomfortable from the dusty air, right? And then some people said it was Mar uh, Kashina, the Gemara Kashisha, that the son of Rabbi who was uh, who was visiting Rav Ashi. And, you know, so, you know, he basically said, so what did they say to this person who's suffering from sort of this dusty air on Shabbat? Doesn't the master, doesn't he agree with what was taught in this brace and what was the brace's solution to the Shabbatot where there was like, I guess this dust in the wind. Somebody who wants to lay the dust in his house on Shabbat. Maybe Areva Malaya Mayim. He brings a basin full of water. So he washes his face in one corner, his hands in one corner and his feet in one corner. So I think the idea is that naturally occurring, there will be some splashing. So if you wash yourself in all different areas of the house, you sort of settle the dust that's in the house, right? Because you'll get sort of all different areas of the house are going to get wet. The right? And so then it sees that the sort of the dust, the water spills out, you know, accidentally. And then it sort of settles, it settles the dust, uh, you know, that it settles that, du- that dust that's there. Apparently there were like these holes and there could be dust coming out from it. Okay, Amar Leith, he replied either it's Ravashi or Rava, depending on which version of the story it is. Sorry, Ravina, right? He says, Lo Adate, right? I this is I forgot about this. I didn't remember that this Bryce said that this opinion uh did uh you know had this. Rashi says it's actually meaning that he's saying that he disagreed. But what I liked about this also is I like I said to Anne, like to me, this was sort of like this is what they did when they didn't have air conditioning, right? Like it's also, again, like a very human thing, right? You can imagine how hot and dusty these, you know, summer Shabbatot would get. And you just, you didn't have a way to cool your house down. And it just was probably not comfortable to be in. And so they sort of had to come up with a way to sort of make Shabbat a little bit to make it like tolerable, you know, that you there was a way that you could sort of, you know, settle the dust, make the air a little bit more refreshing to be in um, on these types of Shabbatot. So I just, I, I, I thought this was also just like, one of those lovely little anecdotes that I always like that, you know, we find in the Gemara. Yeah, I just want to close it with the line that comes immediately after. And then and then the Gemara goes on to the next Mishnah, which we're actually not going to talk about today. But you should know that it's there and, and you know, learn it on your own time. Tana Isha Chachama Marabetet Beitab Shabbat. Wise woman, what does she do? She sprinkles her house on Shabbat. Meaning the the claim here is that she's you know, in each different item that she needs to wash, she'll wash it in a different part of the house so that, you know, a little bit of extra spritz will hit the floor and, you know, fundamentally take care of the house in the way that, your Dana, that you've just described. 
right? Vaidana desvirlan kerebi shimon, shari afilu lechatchila. And the Gemara concludes that now, since we hold according to the opinion of Rabbi Shimon, which I believe is about Malachash Shinatshichal Gufa, right? Then shari afilu lechatchila, you could do this even, um, even. And, you know, ideally, you can do it um, to begin with intentionally. And what do you do? You sprinkle the water in your house because your goal is not to smooth, smooth the, the holes in the floor. You're not trying to, to, you know, make mud out of dirt, right? You're trying to cool things down. You're trying to settle that dust um, in a way that is considered acceptable. So I guess the moral of this bath is braid your hair and set your air conditioners before Shabbos. <laughs> Seriously, right? <laughs> yeah. So with that, we'll conclude. Okay. That's our dap for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Uh, thank you to Rabbi Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Uh, let us know what you think about uh, this page on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow's daf, go and learn.